Well, good morning, everyone. I didn't realize I was a legend. But I've always had my suspicions, and today I've had it confirmed by the preacher. I am merely a myth. I think uh, the reason I'm legend has something to do with what Dave Harrison said to me before I was getting up here. He's like, hey, did you make sure your fly was up this time? <laughs> Apparently, I preached with a zipper malfunction in the past. So, yes, I'm a legend. Well, it's good to be with you guys today. Yesterday, I was with a group of men doing some yard work for Steve Bennett, and someone asked me, uh, hey, I hear you're preaching tomorrow. You know, what, are you, what are you speaking about? I said, well, I'll be talking about being a spirit-led church. And he said, well, you don't know anything about that. I said, you're absolutely right about that. Let me tell you how this happened. Bo Ka or, sorry, Casey and Bo. Casey came to me. Uh, some weeks ago and said, you know, would you like to preach on this date? And I'm like, sure. He's like, I want you to speak on a church that gives. I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't want to talk about giving. To me, that's a leadership thing. I don't want to stand up here and pretend I'm the world's greatest giver. So I'm like, no, I don't think I want to talk about giving. He's like, well, I've got another topic for you, a spirit-led church. And I tried to keep a straight face while I was thinking the very same thing. Uh, I don't know if this is something that's, you know, kind of my area, but I started to reason with myself, if I say no to this, what is the third topic going to be? <laughs> something like how Christians should vote or something like that. So I cut my losses and I agreed to speak today on a church that is spirit-led. You know, and again, this, like I said, it's kind of a hard topic for me. I don't see myself as a person who is particularly knowledgeable or even in tune with the Spirit. If you know me, all the reasons I am legit, legend are probably less than Spirit-sent. Um, so I don't stand up here as some sort of expert on the Holy Spirit. I'm just a regular churchgoer like you, trying to comprehend and think about something that God says is true for us, that the Spirit is given to us in our walk with Him, and it's an important part of our walk with Christ. But you know, the Holy Spirit is not something we talk enough about, or it's not something that we teach enough about. You know, this was true even for the first Christians. In Acts chapter 19, Paul travels to Ephesus, where he meets a group of believers who had been baptized, and he asks them this question, hey, when you guys were baptized, did you get the Holy Spirit? And their response was, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, which was pretty close to my response to Casey. But you see, they hadn't even been taught. It's not something that's just automatic. It's something we need to learn about and be taught about. It kind of reminds me of, of history in high school. It seemed like every year in history class, we would, we'd get up to World War II, and then the spring semester would end for the summer. And I never learned anything after that. You know, in our study of the Word, it can sometimes be similar. We're great at the Old Testament. We know all those Old Testament stories from our childhood and creation and Noah and all that good stuff. We're experts at the story of Christ and His birth and His ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. But it's like we ran out of time. We stopped studying before the next part, the Holy Spirit. We've heard about the Holy Spirit 
but have we really learned as a church what that looks like and how it's lived? In John 14, Jesus is teaching his followers and he's warning them that he's going to be taken from them. But he points to the coming of the Holy Spirit and he says this, and I'm kind of paraphrasing from John 14. I will ask the Father and he will send you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He will live with you and be in you. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, what were you taught about the Holy Spirit? You know, I became a Christian in high school. But even in my short time as a Christian, you know, I was influenced to think that people who talk about the Holy Spirit and describe these experiences with the Holy Spirit, I was kind of influenced to think they were a little bit cuckoo. You know, they were just a little bit off. Because I was actually taught that the Holy Spirit was only active in the first century. Because the church was just getting started, because the gospel message was brand new, the Holy Spirit was a tool to raise awareness and, and garner attention. All these miraculous things, speaking in tongues and healings, got people's attention to come hear the gospel. But once the church took root and gained momentum, those things weren't needed anymore. So they just sort of went away. I was taught that the Holy Spirit was a marketing tactic to sell the gospel. And these thoughts influenced how I interacted with people about the Holy Spirit. You know, while I was in college, I worked for a short time at a convenience store. Everyone should do this as a life experience. My coworker at the store attended a Pentecostal church, and one day we got into a conversation about speaking in tongues. So, as a good Christian, I did my best to explain to her how that was something that happened in the first century, and it didn't really happen anymore. And anybody who talks about it now, that's just a bunch of gobbledygook. And we went on and on, kind of back and forth. It was a long conversation. And at the end of it, she finally just said, you know, I'm not really sure what your question is, but I'll ask my pastor. Maybe he knows. And I'm like thinking, I don't have a question. I have answers. I have facts. I have knowledge, and you're not listening to me. You know, later in the same semester, a Jehovah's Witness comes into the store. And apparently, you know, the convenience store is just a hotbed for spiritual debate. But he comes in, he starts talking to me about spiritual gifts, I've got time to kill, and we're going back and forth. Again, I'm arguing about the fact that those things don't exist anymore. And I said, well, you know what? It says in Mark 16, Jesus himself said, my followers are going to do these amazing things. And one of the things he said was, they're going to drink deadly poison and it won't harm them at all. So I said, why don't you take this Slurpee cup and head on out there to the gas pump and I'll turn it on for free. And you can drink that, and you can prove your point to me. Totally dominated that debate, didn't I? <laughs> but the truth is, I've always been a little resistant to the idea of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives in this century. At heart, I'm pretty skeptical. I have resisted the Holy Spirit. Have you? 
But why is it so hard for us to believe that God sent his spirit to be with us, to do extraordinary things, not just in the first century, but even now? Why is this so hard to believe? We believe a lot of crazy things. We believe that Jesus was implanted in his mother's womb by the Holy Spirit. Pretty crazy. We believe in the miracles of Christ, healing the blind, the lame, the diseased, the dead. We even believe Christ was resurrected from the dead. Why can we not believe in other extraordinary and amazing things? I think it's because we say, well, that was Christ. He was the son of God. He can do those things. We can't. But we're not listening to Jesus if that's our conclusion. Because he says, he's coming to be with you and in you. But we sometimes look at people who talk about their experience with the Holy Spirit like they're a little bit crazy. There's a story exactly like this in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, this is the moment, as Jesus promised, when the Holy Spirit did come. It says in that chapter, all the disciples were gathered there in one house when out of nowhere, this violent noise of a rushing mighty wind just fills the house. And what appears to be flames of fire rushing through the air come through and individual flames seem to settle over each individual there. And then they began speaking in languages they've never studied, foreign languages, and fluently start proclaiming the works of God and how amazing he is. Well, this was the celebration of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. There were Jews from all over the world gathered. This noise was so violent, apparently, everyone could hear it. And they rushed to the part of the city where this noise was coming from to find out what was going on. And here they find these disciples out in the street proclaiming God's word in their native language because they were from other parts of the world. And it was this crazy, confusing, chaotic experience. And it left those onlookers going, these people must be drunk. These people are crazy, out of their mind, drunkards. And that's how I can be sometimes when I hear or see people talking about their experience with the Spirit. They're nuts. Well, Peter gets up in the midst of all this confusion. He says, fellow Jews... And all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you what's happening. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. The drinking starts much later. He didn't say that part. But what he said next, it really does give me chills every time I read it. He says... This is what Joel was talking about from the Old Testament. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below Blood, fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming and the great glorious day of the Lord. 
and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And he goes on to tell the story of Christ, how the Jesus was the promised Messiah to come, and how some of the Jews standing there in that crowd that day were some of the very ones who brought false accusations and got Jesus arrested and killed on a cross. And he said, but you know what? This was God's plan. He foreknew it. In fact, he designed it so. But you killed him. And for the first time, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do about this? And Peter answered, you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize this is a very familiar story. Sometimes this can be sort of the theme of the Church of Christ, Acts 2.38. But we have used this story to get people in the water. And if we have ignored largely the part about the Holy Spirit getting into us, and it's both. The Holy Spirit is the next manifestation of God after Christ in the world. And it's incredible, yet underemphasized. You know, when you look at the storyline of Scripture, you see God interacting with mankind in one way at the beginning, and then it progresses to a deeper level, and then even a deeper level as we move through the story. In the Old Testament, you see God as separate and apart from man after sin entered the world. After sin, Adam and Eve are thrown out of the garden, and this fearsome cherubim angel is placed between mankind and the garden with a flashing sword to prevent them from coming back and being in communion with God, where they once used to walk with God in the cool of the day, the Bible says. Later, we see a voice in the fiery bush saying to Moses, Don't come any closer. Even later, the Spirit of God descends in this dark and foreboding cloud of smoky darkness over Mount Sinai. And the people themselves say, Moses, don't let God speak to us or we're going to die. You go speak to him. So in the Old Testament, there's this God above, this God apart. And then the story introduces Jesus the next manifestation of God in the world. One of the names for Jesus was Emmanuel, which literally means God with us. He was right beside us. He was amongst us. He was a brother and a friend. He was a carpenter that you worked with and said, Jesus, hand me that hammer. He was compassionate. He would cry with us if we lost someone dear to us or were going through a crisis. He shared meals with us. As Max Lucado once wrote, he had bad breath and body odor, just like us. We see him taking long road trips with us, talking with us about our broken relationships and getting into deep spiritual discussions about everything we've always wanted to know about God. He would protect us, defend us. He took the heat for us. He got arrested for us. 
He negotiated the release of his followers when he was arrested. Jesus was God beside us. God with us. And then there's this final manifestation of God in the world, the Holy Spirit. God within us. God moves from above to beside to within. He will live with you and be in you, Jesus said. The book of Acts details what happened after Jesus was taken up into heaven. And you know, the book of Acts is subtitled, The Acts of the Apostles. But it could just as correctly be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the whole book talks about what the power of the Holy Spirit did through normal, everyday followers of Jesus. Like you and me. The Spirit within us in this book enabled us to speak in languages we've never studied. It prompts words in our minds so that ordinary, unschooled men could stand up in front of crowds of a thousand people or more and preach the world's most eloquent sermon. It's the power of God within us so that when Peter, a regular guy, a fisherman, when his shadow would cross over a sick person, they were healed. It's the power of God that tells us, hey, go speak to this person, or go here, or go there. It's a prompting, it's a nudging, gives us words to say. It's the power that broke chains, that opened prison doors and set his followers free. It's resurrection power that enabled Paul to lay his body over a young man who had fallen out of a window to his death and bring him back to life. This spirit, this powerful resurrection Holy Spirit lives inside you and me. As the movie Aladdin told us, phenomenal cosmic power, tiny little living space. But that's the spirit in us. The God above, the God beside, and now the God within. We are living in this third and most powerful time of intimate manifestation of God's revelation to us. And Christ himself said, hey, summer's not out yet. There's a lot more to learn. There's much more adventure to be had with the spirit in you. So the first point I would like to make about being spirit-led is that we must first be a church that believes the Spirit exists in this century and dwells in us and empowers us. Church, do we believe that? You know, the very next thought for me after accepting, okay, there is a Spirit, He is alive in the world, in me, I'm like, do I have it? (laughs) Right? Aren't you thinking that? What, do I have it? Earlier, I mentioned Paul asking some of the believers in Acts 19 if they received the Holy Spirit. You know, what do you suppose you would say if someone came to you and said the same thing? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became a believer? How do you know? I've asked that question. And the reason I've asked that question is because I have never had a Pentecost moment. 
I've never seen tongues of fire. I've never spoken in tongues. I've never experienced some miracle of healing or watched someone else do it. I've just never had any of these dramatic moments. So sometimes I question, how do I know I have the Spirit? You know, some would say, well, you automatically get the Holy Spirit when you're baptized. And we get that from Acts 2.38, you know, repent and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, then I read these other stories in Acts that are a little bit different than that. In Acts 8, we read about the Samaritans who were baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sin, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, it said. So they sent Peter and John to lay their hands on them and give them the Holy Spirit. And he did. After, much later than their baptism. In Acts 10, the Spirit appears to Peter in a vision and says, Hey, I want you to go to this guy named Cornelius' house. I want you to tell him the gospel of Jesus. So he does. He's in the middle of sharing that story. And before he even gets to the end, it says the Holy Spirit was just poured out on everybody who was there listening to the story before they were baptized. And then they said, well, if these people have received the Spirit, I guess we ought to baptize them with water too. And they did it completely out of order. Can you believe that? You know, in the church, we like our order. Things have to happen in a certain way. Opening prayer, scripture, psalm, communion. We love our order. A plus B equals C. A squared plus B squared equals C squared. But the Spirit does what the Spirit does. The Spirit goes where the Spirit goes. In John 3, Jesus is talking to an older believer named Nicodemus. He's talking to him about the Spirit. He says, very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born in the Spirit. This leads me to a very simple conclusion. <laughs> Let's forget the formulas and just ask God to send his Spirit daily. A spirit-led church asks God for his spirit. In Luke 11, Jesus shares this thought. Which of you fathers, if his son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit when you ask him for it. So let's just ask. And we're going to do that when I conclude my sermon this morning. Let's be a church that just asks. And you know, while I haven't had any of those Pentecost moments, I have definitely had moments that I couldn't explain rationally, that didn't make any sense, but in a very real way, I could feel the presence of God 
speaking to me, nudging me. I remember as an early believer in high school going on a week-long backpacking trip. And there's nothing quite like it, if you've never done it, to live for days on end with everything that you need to live on your back in a 40-pound pack, hiking for miles and miles through God's incredible wilderness, sitting next to a fire every night with other believers singing praises to God and reading stories or hearing a message from his word that just seems deeper and more real than you've ever heard it before. This was my experience on that trip. And one night around one of those fires, I just started feeling this weird nudge to speak, to talk about my faith, which I'd never done before out loud. And as the message was wrapping up, the leader that night said, is there anybody here who feels like God is asking them to, to pray for us? And I knew he was talking about me. I'm like, yeah, me. He's telling me. And that night, I said my first open public prayer, just very vulnerable, very real, very genuine with my faith. So it was not a healing. It was not a miracle. I can speak in tongues. It was English. It was just a prayer. But a very real experience with the Holy Spirit. In another experience, I was at a youth minister's conference in Austin. And I was by myself. I didn't know anybody at this conference. But I was going through a really tough time. I was kind of in ministry burnout. Didn't really know where my life was going, my career was going. Kind of had lost the fire in my belly for ministry. And I was just feeling empty and discouraged. One of the reasons I went to this conference, though, was that the David Crowder band was leading worship. And at that time, really loved that music. And it just spoke to me in a way that I really needed. And so on the last night of this conference, there was a big concert. And my seat was like way in the back, the cheap seats at this thing. But I could see way down front, you know, there's room for me down there. So as the lights started going down and the music starts rising and the crowd starts getting amped up, I inch my way down to the front. And I get down on the very front row in front of this massive speaker. And I'm just singing. I'm just praising God, hands in the air. And this is not music you can just hear. It's music you can feel with every fiber of your being as it booms through your body's core. And in that moment, I just lost it. I started crying. I started sobbing. Just had to sit down in the middle of all these people standing up. And it was for no apparent reason. I was just overcome with this tremendous sense of peace and reassurance, and hope. It was just what I needed, just when I needed it. Again, no miracle, no healing, no supernatural occurrence, just an emotional, spiritual experience, a feeling that the God was right there beside me saying, it's going to be all right. Keep doing what you're doing. 
So who am I to tell other people what they may or may not be experiencing with God's Holy Spirit? Why did I try to talk people out of an experience in which they believe that God was powerful and doing something great in their life? What a jerk. I wonder what would have been different if I had just asked those people, hey, why don't you pray for me to get the Spirit? Why couldn't I just be open? And for me, when I think about the subject of being a Spirit-led church, this is probably the lesson I need the most. A Spirit-led church overcomes skepticism and formulas of faith and knowing everything (laughs) and believes in a living Spirit of God that does what it wants, when it wants, lives in you, moves through you. You know, we need to tell each other our Holy Spirit moments. I would imagine there's some of you here today who have such moments, but you don't dare share them because someone will think you're nuts. We need to have a community where it's okay. Let me tell you what I experienced with the Holy Spirit. We need to surround ourselves with people seeking the Spirit and who have set their mind on what the Spirit desires. A Spirit-led church believes that the Spirit exists and dwells within us. A Spirit-led church asks the Lord to send His Spirit. And a Spirit-led church overcomes doubt, skepticism, and is open to receiving the Holy Spirit, whatever that might be. So I'd like to conclude my thoughts this morning with just a request for God to fill us with his spirit. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you humbly, come to you admitting faults, mistakes, pride, and arrogance. Ultimately, we know nothing. God, we ask that you, as promised, fill us with your spirit. Show us who you are. Show us who you want us to be. Help us to believe in your power in our lives. Help us to lean on one another and walk in the spirit together. Help us to trust that you have amazing plans for us, that you can move us through things that we never thought or thought were possible. So God, just pour your spirit into us now. Help us to be open. Help us to receive it. Help us to be vessels of your living spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.